Welcome to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders, hosted by Cheryl Toth and Mike Sakopoulos, and produced by the American Association for Physician Leadership. I'm Cheryl Toth with Sound Practice. And I'm Mike Sakopoulos. And as COVID-19 continues to impact us on a global scale, maintaining the health and well-being of providers and clinical teams is critical. And Mike, you had a fascinating conversation with Dr. Dan Diamond about this topic earlier in the week. I did. Dr. Diamond is uniquely equipped to address the topic of crisis management and team well-being. He was involved in the medical response after Hurricane Katrina, the Haiti earthquake situation, and the recent typhoon in the Philippines. I think listeners will find his stories and insights extraordinarily useful. And before we head into that interview, let's remind listeners, Mike, about the resources that the AAPL has available to support physician leaders as they manage COVID-19 challenges. First, the resource page. There is a resource page on the AAPL website. Uh, The website is physicianleaders.org. The resource page is called Leadership in the Midst of Crisis. And we have put a link in the show notes directly to that page for you. We, we sure have. And we've also included the two discussion groups that AAPL has set up so that physicians can connect in real time to share information. Again, uh, the link for those are in the show notes. Yeah, check those out because there's some really helpful information. And with that, Mike, let's get right to your interview with Dr. Dan Diamond. My guest today is Dr. Dan Diamond. Dr. Diamond founded and serves as the director of the nation's first state-affiliated medical disaster response team from a typhoon in the Philippines, earthquake in Haiti, to his role as director of mass casualty triage unit in New Orleans following Hurricane Katrina. Dr. Dan Diamond has been there, treating patients, helping people. Dr. Diamond is board certified family physician He's clinical assistant professor at the Elson Floyd College of Medicine at Washington State University. His tremendous service has not gone unnoticed. Dr. Diamond has been given the Real Hero Award by the American Red Cross, the Washington State Governor's Award for Excellence, and he has received the President's Volunteer Service Award from President Obama. It's my pleasure to welcome Dr. Dan Diamond to Sound Practice. Yeah, thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm I'm looking forward to our conversation today. I am as well. I really appreciate you taking time in these uh, these crazy days to speak with us. Let's jump in with um, with question because we've got a, a lot of different ground to cover uh, here. But in in the past, you've served as a child sexual assault evaluator for the state of Washington. This is a situation where both the, the victim, patient, and the physician can be traumatized by an event. In some ways, it's really not dissimilar to what physicians are experiencing in treating COVID-19 patients. What lessons can you apply uh, for those dealing with uh, trauma from the pandemic on the front lines? You know, that is an outstanding question. Um, and and the, I'll never forget going through the training for that, which was very intense. Um, and one of the lectures that we had was all about how easy it is to burn out when you're doing child sexual assault work. Mm. And they said you, you need to have um, 10 people on your team to keep from going crazy. And I thought, okay, 
Yeah, that makes sense. I'll, 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 yeah, okay. It's all good. And I wrote down in my, in my notes, yeah, you need to have a team. And, and they said, no, we're actually serious about this. Life is like walking on a glacier. You're either in one of three scenarios. You're, you're all by yourself, which is really dangerous. You're in a crowd, and you hope that somebody will notice if you fall through the ice. Or you're roped up with a group of people. They said, take out a piece of paper, write down one through ten, and then write down ten names of the people that are on your rope with you. And I thought, well, oh, wow, like you're actually serious. Like, actually do this. <laughs> you know? and, and I wrote down seven names. And they said, well, looks like you have a little homework to do, Diamond. Because you need to have your ten people on your list. And then you take that list and you tape it to the back of your medicine cabinet door. Because when it hits the fan and you're struggling... You need to have that list so you know who to call. If you only have one person on your list, you will for sure burn them out. So uh-huh. kind of rotate it a little bit, but you need to have 10 people to keep from going crazy. And I thought, man, that's good advice. You know, I just did a, a short little, I've been doing these hashtag Friendship Friday videos. By the way, never on a Friday, but I've been doing those on Facebook and I started putting them on LinkedIn too. And uh, the list last week's was about, you know, when you're walking on a glacier, you're coincidentally about six feet apart. Don't That's do it without a rope. You never know where the next crevasse is going to be, do you? Yeah, no kidding. And yeah. they can hit you just out of the blue. And if you've got a team of people, it's so much easier. And you know what? When I've thought this through over the years, the criteria are I want to be with a group of people that I can be completely honest with. I give them the, the permission to ask me any question that they want to ask. I make a covenant with them that I'll tell them the truth when they ask me a question. And I promise them that I will hurt them if they break the confidence. <laughs> <laughs> Do you need to start with more than 10 to get down to the 10 that will accept those terms? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Well, then you've got some good friends. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've got some great friends. But, it, but it, it doesn't happen by accident. It's not like Friends Anonymous comes to your door and says, <laughs> hey, Diamond, we were, we were in the neighborhood and, and thought you needed some friends. Now you got to reach out and connect with them. And, and frankly, now is a great time to do it because more people are on Zoom and connecting and reaching out. I've reached out to some people I haven't seen for years and have had some just amazingly good conversations in the last couple of weeks. Speaking of good people, as we're talking today, hundreds if not thousands of healthcare providers from around the country are on their way to to New York and Louisiana. Uh, They're going to obviously help COVID-19 patients. As part of their effort, they're necessarily going to be working with people that they've never met in places that they've never been. This seems to me to impact concepts of team and teamwork. Can you draw on your experience of practicing international disaster medicine to provide advice on integration of these healthcare volunteers into the places where they're headed? Yeah, disasters are a great place to study human behavior because nobody, there's no place for anyone to hide. Hmm. When, when we were in New Orleans, we were all living on the street. My whole team was, you know, we, we ended up staying part of the time at the Mississippi Delta Queen warehouse on the floor but somebody was always sleeping out in the... The paddle wheel boat? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Nice. Yeah, we just kind of grabbed a piece of floor there. The, the New Orleans <laughs> police were living in there too, and we got along with them. 
had some great relationships with them. It was just a fantastic experience. Um, but everybody's living on the street, so um, there was no, you couldn't hide behind anything like your car, your clothes, your status, your um, your job title. Everybody was just, you know, it didn't make any difference who you were. We were all walking around. Uh, and so it, what, what occurred to me is there's a couple of different ways that, uh, people show up, not different types of people, but the way people show up and it has to do with mindset. So there was plenty of victims that the, the media showed you that, that saw themselves as, as being powerless. Julian Rotter back in the fifties talked about this idea of locus of control and that victims have an external locus of control. The power is external stuff happens to them. Um, and there's another side to the victim is that it's they're focused on themselves. So they mm. take and in a disastrous situation, they will focus on themselves and take as much as they can. For example, toilet paper <laughs> and sanitizer, you know, all that kind of stuff in that victim mindset. I'm looking at what I can hoard with this um, deficit mentality that I, I don't know if there's going to be enough and I need to look out for myself. And so I'm going to stockpile and hoard the controller mindset were the people that were shooting at the rescue people. And they were the ones that, you know, they had the power, they had guns, they had ammunition. Um, they were up on the roof. They had the high point. Um, and so th they were afraid they weren't going to be rescued. So they started shooting at the rescue people. And it seems so ridiculous to do that. Um, when you're looking at it from this perspective, but, and, and I've never shot a gun at another person, but I've shot emails, you know, I've shot comments, I've, saw, I've <laughs> shot looks at people because I was an authority and I made it all about me. So I was the powerful taker, the controller using that mindset. Uh, the, the bystander, the powerless giver shows up and doesn't show up, says uh, somebody should do something, never occurs, it should be them. And then the thriver mindset is I have the power to make a difference. It's not about me, and I don't care who gets credit. So it's it's about being a powerful giver. And when we're in disaster settings, and this is, we are in a disaster setting now. We're bringing together a bunch of teams with different backgrounds, different experience. If we show up with the attitude of the thriver and say, I have the power to make a difference, it's not about me, and I don't care who gets the credit. We can get some great stuff done. If people show up and say, hey, you know, we're here now. We got it. Thanks. Appreciate you guys coming. We don't need your help. You can't use our stuff. Um, it's all about us. You don't get as much done. Um, but that, that thriver mindset makes all the difference in the world uh, in a disaster setting. How do we foster that, that type of, of mindset or worldview? You know, it's it's a question I have to ask myself, depending on how my day is going, hundreds of times a day. Because my natural tendency, and maybe I shouldn't tell you because now you'll know, but my natural tendency is to slide into victim mode. I'll just slide down there and I can manipulate you. I could get you to give me a hug. Well, at least I could before COVID-19. Um, I could get equipment from you say, oh man, we're really suffering. We need help. Or it's just like, oh man, it's so hard. I can get people to feel sorry for me. I can get out of doing the dishes after dinner. Honey, I just don't feel very good. I've kind of just got a headache. Oh, go sit on the couch, honey. I got the dishes. Yes. 
I learned a great lesson from Brian Stevenson that I think is crucial when it comes to leading teams and, and combining new teams together, people that don't know each other from different parts of the country. Stevenson wrote the book, Just Mercy. It just came out as a movie. Um, and he was talking uh, in a lecture that I watched about the, the importance of proximity. And he said, we can never break down barriers. He was talking about racial barriers, but it applies between the barriers between administration and docs, docs, nurses, lab tech, public health people. I mean, there's so many potentials to say, oh, that's those people over there and, and get this group think going on. He said, the most important thing is to become proximate to the other people. So we sit right next to them, shoulder to shoulder, six feet apart, of course, and say, um, help me to understand what it looks like over there from your perspective. One of the greatest things of, and, and every time I deploy with Medical Teams International, it's a new team. We're all on a roster and they, and they pull from whoever can come and boom, we're on an airplane and gone. Um, and so, you know, we're at the airport introducing each other and trying to figure out how we're going to work together. My big goal as the team leader is to come along and say, help me to understand what's your perspective. Um, you see the world from a different view because you trained in a different system. You're um, a woman. I'm a man. You're black. I'm white. You're, um, you're young. I'm an old guy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> help me to understand you're a firefighter. And you guys are, you're working in the field all the time. I've learned more field medicine from the paramedics on my team than anybody else. And not because I said, well, I'm a doctor and you're a paramedic. Because I came alongside and said, hey, can you guys teach me stuff? Help me to understand how you see it and, and give me some insight. If we show up with this attitude of I have the power to make a difference, it's not about me. I don't care who gets the credit. And help me to understand, show up with curiosity and with kindness. Oh my gosh, we can get work done. It's fantastic the amount of work that can get done. And it's amazing how quickly a team can come together when they have kindness and curiosity and openness. Um, I, oftentimes we'll talk about what we really need in this situation is unstoppable love. And that's not mushy. I'm, you know, this is, I'm a, I'm a disaster doc. This is real. This is a fierce, unstoppable love that says, I'll do anything I can to help you be successful. So when we get to Haiti, for example, and the, 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 we were working on with the Israelis, we met them at the, the United Nations has a, a system that they call clusters. And they have cluster meetings, a little bit different than the meeting we the meeting we have here in the U.S. Lost in translation there. Yeah, yeah. So it's 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 all put out by division. So there's a hmm. there's a, a sanitation cluster, there's a healthcare cluster, there's a logistics cluster. So we have our healthcare cluster meetings every morning. It doesn't make any difference where we are in a disaster. It's um, usually about nine or nine thirty in the morning. There's a healthcare cluster meeting somewhere. We just have to figure out where it is, and we show up and. My attitude is always, um, here's what I have, here's what I need. You can have any of my stuff. You can even take my people if you need them, because it's not about us. We don't care who gets credit. So the Israelis were, they were looking for an x-ray bulb. And I said, man, I don't know if I have one or not, but you're welcome to come to our hospital and let's see. You know, because we were at uh, King's mm -hmm. Hospital in Port-au-Prince. And it was just like that thing had been picked up, 
shook a couple of times, flipped over and sat back down again. Um, and we looked through all our stuff and we didn't, we did not have an extra bulb, but what we did have was a new relationship with the Israelis. And so when, when we ran into some difficulties with a couple of our patients, they were my first go-to people. Uh, and there you talk about people that know how to run a disaster. The Israelis are amazing at it. Um, but we had that relationship because we'd come alongside each other and said, what do you need? Here's what I have. You're welcome to the stuff I have. It's not about us. So I think that, you know, that would be my big advice. If you're getting deployed and you're going to be heading into one of these hot zones, show up with kindness, show up with curiosity, show up with a servant's heart and ask yourself about a gazillion times a day, what does unstoppable love look like? Well said. Um, I'm thinking now about the teams that have been splintered. People have been furloughed, laid, laid off, jettisoned from uh, work to, to tell a commuter. What are important things that, that leaders can, can say, do, ask to support their, their teams right now? And obviously, we're, we're not talking about people on the, the front lines, but this is true of a number of people in, in medicine in general right now in other areas of, of medicine. And maybe you could talk about what people could do in administrative capacity for their, their team members that they've been separated from. Yeah. You know, I was laying in bed the other a couple of days ago, just waking up, which is some of my best thinking time. <laughs> um, and I thought, you know, what, really what we need is like a rallying cry, strong together, even when we're apart. And, you know, how do we do that? Well, I think it's, that's the time where we get together and say, how can we be creative about this? So if people are used to working in an office with their team and now they're told they have to stay at home, that's kind of a, a double whammy because right in the middle of our, the greatest disaster of our lifetime by far, we've cut off social support with the people that we used to work with our, our, you know, our, there are peeps <laughs> and, sure. and now we're supposed to go through this stuff and, and don't get close. Um, I look at that as an opportunity for us to figure out how we're going to get together. So if I was leading a team, I would be asking myself questions like uh, how many huddles a day do I need to do with my team? Uh, and, and I think in my mind's eye, at least twice a day huddles makes great sense. They don't need to be long but as, the, as a team lead, my goal is to listen, uh, to, to help get resources for my team, and then make sure that my team is looking in the right direction because we go in the direction that we look. And, and I have proven this way too many times on my mountain bike. I've, I've run into trees uh, by saying, I'm not going to hit the tree, I'm not going to hit the tree, I'm not going to hit the tree, when I'm going through these narrow trees. <laughs> and, and I do. If my shoulder could talk, if it had, had li- if it had lips, it would start talking right now and say, oh, yeah, he did, he did. I launched myself off a cliff one time <laughs> on my bike because I just looked just for a second. So as a leader, my goal is to point the team in the direction that we want to go, which means leading better conversations. And, man, I'm... Um, the last few weeks I've been doing these virtual workshops for organizations and you've had some amazing conversations. It's all about choreographing the conversations, asking um, questions that are generative uh, 
um, to get get things moving in the right direction. Uh, Jackie Stavros wrote a book called Conversations Worth Having. I would be all over that book if I was trying to figure out how to lead teams through this. I found that book to be exceedingly helpful. I did a podcast interview with her uh, just a, a couple of months ago. It's um, One more time for our audience, could you repeat the, the author yeah. and title? Yeah, Jackie Stavros, Conversations Worth Having. Great book. It's, you know, the, the difference between um, how come they don't have any PPE for me? The, the organization doesn't love us. This place sucks. This is horrible. What are we going to do about it? Hmm. When I ask a question like that, it drops me down into what my, my good friend, Danny Friedland, who wrote the book Leading Well from Within, talks about um, when we drop down into our safety frame, down into the amygdala, um, we're, it's a very fast decision-making process. It's just not a very good one because it doesn't have the, the deep thinking that I can have in the, in the prefrontal cortex where I can have executive functioning. Um, so if I'm dropping down and just you know, looking at how I stay safe, then I'm not going to be creative at all. It's kind of like, um, I don't know if you've ever seen anybody that's really angry walking down the street and they're shuffling their feet and kicking the ground and upset and, you know, wrist and frost and they walk right into a lamppost <laughs> and then they cuss the lamppost. That's because you get tunnel vision. When you, when you back up and you look at what's, what are the strengths that we have right now? What are our core values? How could we take those strengths and those core values to do great work? What does great work look like in this situation? You know, imagine 30 days from now and, and we've done this well. What does that look like? What do we need? How can we, you know, the, those are conversations that you kind of go, oh, yeah, and your brain comes back online again. It's like sticking a wide angle lens on your prefrontal cortex. You can see both ways down the street at the same time. When, when teams are afraid, they get tunnel vision, tunnel hearing, and tunnel thinking. So when we were in Haiti, for example, um, we were there, it was, I think we were probably on our fifth day there, and we were, we were sleeping in a concrete building on the second story, and it was a pretty sturdy building. I mean, it survived the first earthquake. Um, but it was, nonetheless, we were in a concrete building, and I'd seen all these other buildings that had been destroyed. And I was, um, I mean, everybody I think wants to be a firefighter. So I, I took my pants off at night and my boots, like a firefighter, you know, where they're all just kind of sitting there. So if you have an earthquake, you can jump out of bed, right into your boots, pull your pants up and run. So I had this all planned out and I was, it was really hot. We had mosquito nets and all this stuff. And I was sleeping in my tidy whities and it was about 6.30 in the morning, and we got a 6.2 aftershock. Jay Leno said calling that an aftershock is like saying a woman with, tw uh, with twins that the second one's just the afterbirth. <laughs> it was the scariest moment of my entire life. We are being tossed in this building. And my buddy yells, earthquake. And I'm trying to get out of the <laughs> mosquito net. And I, and I get out of bed, and I'm standing there, and I look all over the place, and I can't find my clothes. They were gone. And I thought, well, embarrassed or dead, embarrassed or dead, I'll go embarrassed. 
And I ran <laughs> down the stairs out into the courtyard, stood out there with my whole team in my tidy whities and everybody starts chuckling. Just started with one person. And then pretty soon the whole community's laughing. There's Dan Diamond standing in his, in his tidy whities And then this kid passes out. And I got to take care of the kid. My, my team's yelling at me. She passed out because she saw you and your tidy whities <laughs> By the way, I don't wear tidy whities anymore. I'm a black boxer briefs guy now ever since then. The point <laughs> of when I went back in the building later, my pants were right where I put them. Hmm. I... Had, I have never experienced that before. I was so afraid that I couldn't see. I, I had tunnel vision. It was bizarre. And, you know, I, I think, you know, I, this happens to us when we get in these high-stress situations. We become afraid. We become angry. We feel inadequate. And we go into this amygdala hijack in our prefrontal cortex is taken offline and we lose the ability to think. So in disasters, I try to play a lighter game. I try to keep my head up and look around. I try to use some gentle humor with my team, not inappropriate stuff, but just gentle humor. And it's, you know, we're doing the work that matters, but can we do it in a way where, where we're not so focused on the negative uh, how do we turn around and focus on the positive is it, it, it will bring your brain back online again, and you're going to be able to see solutions that you couldn't see before. That leads me to an area of concern in my, my next question, because we're rapidly moving towards the time when we're going to hit the daily mortality apex in certain parts of our, our country and healthcare providers and staff will be faced with, with frequent deaths to, to, to deal with. And this obviously comes at, at personal uh, trauma. What do you think about shortening shifts, rotating personnel? How do, we, how do we help people that have to be there working cope with uh, a really horrendous situation? You know, that's such an important question to ask. And we, we talk a lot, we have for years about how do we develop psychological safety in, in, a, in a safe workplace where where people can say, I need a break, uh, or I'm really struggling. Mm. This is more important than ever now. Uh, shorter shifts would be great. The one thing we don't want to be doing is have people working, you know, 16, 18-hour shifts, 24-hour shifts. Um, we really, in the midst of this, need seven to eight hours of sleep at night. And and I can hear people screaming at me already, you don't understand. <laughs> yes, I do understand. I almost killed my team in Haiti. And, you know, that's one of those deals like, can you say that out loud? Well, yeah, because if I don't say it out loud and give you permission to go, really? What's wrong with you, man? Like you're an international disaster doc. What did you do? I'm willing to share my mistake with you because... I don't want anybody else to make the same mistake. We got into Haiti. It took us about four and a half days to get there because of transportation issues and the airport was closed. Um, and so we had to drive from the opposite side of the island um, on roads that weren't so good. <laughs> so when we got there, there was a line of people with open fractures that had been there for about four and a half, five days. Open fractures sitting outside the hospital because the hospital had been condemned as soon as the earthquake hit. 
Well, as soon as we walked up, we saw these people that were, you know, obviously suffering and had been suffering incomprehensibly for days. So we ran into the hospital. And um, like I said, this building looked like it had been turned upside down and set back on its foundation again. All the shelves were tipped over. They had a lot of glassware. The glass was broken. There was liquids all over the place. So we were we were sweeping and mopping and setting shelves back up and restocking. And we had only one anesthesia machine that worked. The Canadians brought us another one. They airlifted it, dropped it on our, our roof by helicopter. And we carried that thing down, got it all set up. We had two operating rooms going, three amazing orthopedic surgeons that, that could pin a hip without x-ray in the field. It was just phenomenal. We were putting people back together left and right. It was amazing. And then somebody comes up. And they say, hey, Diamond, did you see the crack? I said, no, what, what crack? They said, come with me. And they took me outside, and the surgical suite was cantilevered out. You know, it stuck straight out from the building, about 15 feet up in the air. And there was a crack that went right up the side that was about a half inch wide. Went right up the side of the building, right where the surgical suite was attached to the building. And I thought, oh, my gosh. In the incident command structure, until I appoint a safety officer as the incident commander, I am the safety officer. And there's no way I can point at anybody else and say, how come you guys didn't see that crack? That's my responsibility because <laughs> that's my job. So we had to go in, finish up the cases that we were on, evacuate the surgical suites, I went to the United Nations, found some engineers from Spain that came over and helped us design some pillars to put underneath to hold the building back up again and keep it from falling off, and then we were back to work. My point is, if I don't take care of my team, everybody loses. I could have lost my whole team, and then that line would have gone nowhere. So if we're not taking care of ourselves, we're going to be in trouble. So I think we've got to get at least seven hours of sleep at night take care of each other. When I came back from Haiti, I cried for three or four months. It was so mm. painful. Um, and, and know that those are normal feelings. Talk to your friends about it. Get it out. Don't sit back and think, I'm, I should be tough. I'm, I'm a doctor. I should be able to do this stuff. I, no, this is, you're, you're a human and you're a compassionate healer. And it hurts. And it's okay to get on the phone with a friend to get on a Zoom call with somebody and say, man, I'm really hurt and I need some help um, and spend time with each other. That's part of that being roped up and going, going across the glacier. If one person on that line falls, everybody else looks and everybody pulls to get that other person back out again. Um, we need to be roped up. We need to have those vital, active, alive, supporting relationships with each other um, because this is hard work. This is going to be really difficult over these next few weeks. And, and we need to be able to give each other the freedom to crumble and then put the pieces back together again and then go back to work. Uh, it's going to take lots of compassion. And uh, the worst thing would be, oh, come on, buck up. You can deal with this. Get yourself together. Uh, mm. better off to say, how can I best support you and I care about you and I love you? Again, coming back to that same question, what does unstoppable love look like? Unstoppable love as a leader looks like I'm taking really good care of my team because without my team, we can't take care of these patients that we love. 
but the patients don't come first. The team comes first. And that's almost sacrilegious to say that as a doc, but I'm a hundred percent convinced because I almost killed my team. Wow. Okay. So in times of crisis, such as now it, it's, I think, difficult to have a long-term perspective because you're just so mired down in, in taking care of the, these ill patients. But if you could help me, let's envision a year from now, April of 2021. How are, would you describe organizations that came through this crisis successfully with, with most of their team intact? In and what did they do to help people strive and, and thrive uh, go, going forward? Yeah, I think those those teams that in organizations that do well are going to be the ones that say we loved each other through that and we have a bond now between us. You know, we got through it. Um, you know, I still have relationships with people that I've been deployed with because we've had we've shared that that common struggle together. Mm. So it. This is the this is the ultimate team building exercise. That that it is, Doctor Diamond. I greatly appreciate your willingness to take time out of your schedule at this this busy uh, juncture to speak with us on Sound Practice. Thank you very much. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Hopefully, it's been helpful. I think it has. I wish you and your family all the best. Thank you very much for your time. You're welcome, my friend. Mike, I found myself completely engrossed in that interview. Dr. Diamond's stories were powerful, and I completely agree with his unstoppable love idea. I just, I really mm. enjoyed that. We have to be there for our team first right now, especially for providers and clinical staff, making sure they get enough rest, um, that they have a way to unload their sadness and frustration, because I can imagine there is a lot of that in many of our hospitals right now. You know, unfortunately, you're, you're right, uh, uh, Tothi, there, there sure is. Dr. Diamond's focus on self-care is certainly spot on. So important to remember uh, when the patient load and unfortunately uh, mortality rates are, are so high. Well, thanks everyone for tuning in to this uh, special episode of the podcast as you work at home or as you manage your own well-being by taking the podcast along with you as you walk outdoors. Good idea to get up from your desk and take a walk outside. You will always find us uh, on Apple Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed our episode, A Sound Practice, please take two minutes to review it on your podcast app. Or if you'd like to give us feedback directly, send an email to feedback at soundpracticepodcast.com. Stay home and stay healthy, everyone, and join us for our next episode. Don't forget, we release one every other Wednesday. Bada bing, bada boom. Bada bing, bada boom. You've been listening to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders. Check out the show notes for this episode at soundpracticepodcast.com. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, we'd love to hear them. Email us at info at soundpracticepodcast.com. Subscribe to Sound Practice wherever you listen to podcasts so you can automatically receive our episodes. And please rate us and comment on the podcast in iTunes and Google Play. Sound Practice is presented and produced by the team at American Association for Physician Leadership. We are the world's premier organization for all aspects of physician leadership in every sector of healthcare. Learn more at physicianleaders.org. Robin. Red Book of Power.